right, Rockbridge? Hey, my name is Matt, and we're delighted and excited that you're here at one of our six physical locations, or you're here uh, even watching online on some kind of digital device. We're one church, multiple languages, multiple locations, and, and one mission and one vision. So thank you so much. Glad that you're here together. And hey, we're in the middle of a series walking through uh, the entire book of 1 Samuel. In the actual Jewish Bible, it's just one book, Samuel, not First and Second Samuel. And so we're talking about Israel's ask or request for a king. And so we're going to get this weekend to kind of the, the crux of it, which is where Israel asked God for a king. And we'll, we'll unpack that. But as we meet ourselves in the Word of God, where, where we're going to find kind of resonance and connection with the people of God back thousands and thousands of years ago is something that I know everybody here today and this weekend has experienced, and that's failure. That failure is part of kind of <coughs> life, right? Uh, it's an unfortunate part of life, uh, and we don't like it, but we experience it. And so we have failure, and then there's kind of the side effects of failure. There's the negative emotions or state of mind that comes from it, whether that's regret or bitterness. Sometimes we're angry, right? Sometimes after failure, there's spiritual doubt and confusion, like, God, how could you? Why did you? Why didn't you? And we put God on the witness stand, and, and our faith kind of falters, or, 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 we, or some of us don't have faith because of failure in our life, either that was imposed upon us or that we experienced. Uh, then we have identity crisis, like if I can't do this or if I'm not good at uh, or I have failed at, who am I really and do I have any worth? I mean, I, I would venture to say in a church our size this weekend, there's people here and, and you feel like a failure, you have failed and, and you wonder, can God love you and is, does God have a plan for you? And, and so failure is just common to all <coughs> of, of humanity. And, and the way this is going to hit us as we get into 1 Samuel chapter 8 is kind of challenging because it's going to raise a lot of questions. And so I'm going to invite you, you're going to have to kind of love God with your mind uh, to meet with me and to help me, right? I, I, I don't let me to be the one only one working here this weekend because here's what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is God permits a sinful request that brings about a major failure. Israel asked God for something, we'll see it in the text in a few minutes, and it's sinful, and it's wrong, and God says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. And, and, and you know, that, that, that's the wrestling match, right? That's the wrestling match, because, I mean, you're thinking, like, why would a loving God allow his people to fail? And, and, and you're, you've asked that question God, why would, did you allow me to fail? Or why did you allow my parents to fail me? Or why did you allow my first husband to fail me? Or, or, or why am I such a failure? And God, why, why couldn't you have stopped it? I mean, it's sort of like parenting, right? It, it, the tension of parenting is do you let your kids fail or not? Do you want your kids to touch a hot, hot stove to realize you shouldn't touch hot objects? Well, no, you prevent that. But when your kids are learning to walk, you kind of got to let them fall to learn to walk, right? So what is God doing? When he permits a sinful request that brings about a major failure. And, and, if, and we've been using this fill-in-the-blank, this whole series. So here it is. They have, a, they have God, Yahweh, their deliverer out of Egypt. And they say, God, <clears throat> we want a human king. We want a political, military, diplomatic, and spiritual leader. 
And if you give us that, God, then we'll have happiness, security, and identity. And we've, we've all realized that, hey, you know, we, we all have this blank that we want God to fill in. And if he does it, we think, man, God's great, and I'll be happier, I'll be more secure, I'll know who I am. But this is the big request of, of all of 1 Samuel. They ask God for a king. So what does it say? Just, let's just start with surface level before we jump in the text. What does it say that God allows you and I to fail? Well, it says one thing for sure, that God wants something more than coerced compliance. Like if God just wanted you and I to salute and bow down and say, all hail the Lord, don't you think he could do that? I mean, he could do that without any effort whatsoever. So he's after something more than coerced compliance. And that's important for us just to realize as we move through the book and move through the text and as we move through our own walk and our own journey with God. Secondly, God's permissions are never without purpose. So if God gives permission for something to happen, there is never, it's never random, it's never accidental, it has purpose. And on the other side of the cross, where God permitted his own son to die, there's a resurrection. So we can see that God has purposes beyond what we can fathom. The, the author of Proverbs says it this way, hey, many are the plans in a purpose, person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. So we can act in accordance with our plans, but God has a purpose that will prevail. Now, I want you to see something in a, in a kind of a, a, a hymn to Jesus Christ that shows us something about God and his ability to permit things for a purpose. So let's read this. This is from Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So Jesus is God. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. In Colossians 2, chapter, 15, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 15, he's going to talk about evil powers and spiritual rulers and authorities. Satan, Lucifer, is a created being. So when it says, in him all things were created, God created that. Knowing, not that God created evil, but he created the opportunity for evil. And, and knowing that people would, or, or, or demonic things would emerge. All things have been created through him and for him. So God created all things, which allowed the possibility for evil things to emerge. Which created the possibility for you and I to do evil things, sinful things. And God has a purpose for it beyond what we might can fathom because it says they're created for him. Then it says he's before all things and in, all thing, in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. The fact that there is death is because God permitted Adam and Eve and then every subsequent human being after them to sin and therefore deserve physical and spiritual death. So God's over all of those things. Now, again, some of us are like, I don't know if I can believe in a God like that. <clears throat> I'll get to why you need to believe in a God like that towards the end. But we need to embrace that it's in the word of God that God is over all things. And here's the purpose that sometimes feels so foggy and feels so uncertain but here's the purpose so that in everything that includes our failures 
that includes evil, so that in everything he might have the supremacy or be first. So failure has a divine design from a good and infinitely wise and gracious God. Failure has a divine design. Now, let's hold this, though. Satan, the deceiver, loves to hijack the design. Satan loves for you to look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a failure. The best is not ahead of me. It was behind me, and I send it away, gave it away, married the wrong person away 10 years ago, five months ago, five minutes ago. That's the voice of Satan. Some of you don't listen to that, but it's here. He, we have to recognize it, right? Satan, the deceiver, loves, loves to put, for us to put God on the witness stand and question God's goodness, God's sovereignty, and God's grace in the midst of permitted failure, in the midst of permitted evil. So I firmly believe we need 1 Samuel chapter 8 in our lives. I firmly believe the Holy Spirit, when he ordained and illuminated and inspired the writing of Scripture, there is a very deep-seated human need, because we all experience failure, for us to see what's happening in the economy of God in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So here we go. Let's get to work. Verse 1. When Samuel grew old, points to his biological limitations, right? He appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. So in the first verse, we have the, a problem that is common to all humanity. One is, we do not last forever. We grow old. Two is, we are not steadfast and consistent with our integrity or our spiritual walk. They turned toward dishonest prophets, took bribes, and perverted justice. So it tells us a couple of things. Failure is part of every story. Let me say this to some parents in the room. Just because you're a godly parent doesn't mean you always raise godly kids. Samuel was a godly parent and a godly man. God was the perfect father, and Adam and Eve rebelled against him. There will be failure in everybody's story. Period, because we're finite, and we don't have, we're not steadfast, and we're con not consistent. So this failure that Samuel's getting old, and somebody's got to take his place, and his sons are not demonstrating that they have the character or the competency to take their dad's spot as the spiritual leader of, of Israel, prompts the elders to get together and ask for something they should never have asked for. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah, and they said, look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're God's chosen people. You're not supposed to be the same. Yeah, 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 God, but we'll be happier if you just give us a king and that fill-in-the-blank thing that we've been looking at for six, seven, eight weeks. So look at, what show, look what happens. So we see that failure is a part of every story. The solution they propose is also a failure. So look at, look at what we've seen in three verses. Humans fail us. They grow old, and they don't consistently walk in the ways of God. 
So give us a human to lead us. And that was just like you and I. Isn't that like just you and I? Humans fail us, so let's have a human solution to lead us. And, and it shows us something. And some of us, this is our story. We love to think we are the best judges of what makes us happy. But how many of us have done something that made us happy that later made us miserable and we realize what made us happy enslaved us and caused us to fail at something? <coughs> I mean, that's some of our stories, right? How many of us, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts and Swiss cake rolls make me happy? If I eat too many of them, six months later, I look in the mirror and I'm miserable, right? And you, my wife's like, man, what happened to you? I'm like, little Debbie happened, right? I, mean, I thought she would make me happy. Now she's made me miserable, right? We're not the best judge of what makes us happy. And so what Israel looks at is they look at all these other nations, and they're like, hey, if we just had a king like they had, we would be better off. But they missed their calling because go back to the Levitical code of the, of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be mine. There's a battle in every soul in this room. There's a battle in everybody walk, watching here. It's the battle, do you want to be holy or happy? Satan says you can't be happy if you're holy. God says the only way to be happy forever is you better be holy. That's a tension in the room right now. It's a tension in my soul. You see that? And, and, and so one of the ways Satan loves to hijack, right, is, hey, if you do things God's way, yeah, you'll be different and you'll be holy, but you won't be happy. But we just said we fail to know what will make us happy. And that's the tension, right? That's the battle, right? That's 1 Samuel 8, right? We don't want to be holy gods. We want a king like the Philistines and the Amorites and the Ammonites and all the ites. When they said, God give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong or sinful. So he prayed to the Lord. And here's where it's like, God, why didn't you keep their hand off the hot stove? What kind of God, Father, are you? But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day. They are abandoning me and worshiping other gods. They've taken that empty fill-in-the-blank, and they said, God, putting something in this blank is more important than staying with you. Give us a human king. Jeremiah diagnoses this. This is the problem of the human heart. My people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. God, we can't be happy by drinking your living water. So we're going to go pursue bitter water, polluted water, corrupt water. Maybe it feels good for a night, an evening, a moment, and a season. But eventually it leaks out and it can't hold water. And we thought we would be happy, but we realized what we thought would make us happy removed us from God's favor, removed us from God's blessing, and moved us down a path called miserable. And so what's the real bottom line? The crux of their failure is the crux of our failure. They fail to see God's supreme worth and his beauty and his authority. 
And then they fail to choose him with joyful submission. See, it's not a failure. Do they believe in God? Yes. They go to church? Yes. Do they have religious activities? Yes. Do they have the bumper stickers on the back of their cars? Yes. Or horses or trailers or whatever they have? Yes. Did they wear T-shirts? Yes. If they wore cross necklaces, would they have those on? Yes. What's their problem then? They look the part. What's their problem? They did not see God as supremely worthy and beautiful. And they did not give God their surrender. What they saw is is this blank was empty. And they fixated on it and they asked God for it. They failed to see. See, that's the spiritual battle. Look what Satan does. The God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You could put the beauty, the worth, the majesty, the sum total of his awesomeness. They're seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And this is why verses like this are so important. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, where, where does human freedom come from? That's the question you've got to answer, and I've got to answer. And to fail, and if you fail to answer it correctly, it will produce failure. Because what, what is the going message of our time? Freedom is, let me do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. I'll be me, and you do you. And I'll be happy then, right? And we have more social-emotional health and mental health issues than at any time in the human race. Because people are trying to author their own happiness. And they're not saying, I, they're not saying hey, I want to be holy to be happy. They're saying, I want to be happy, whatever that means. Right? And what we have to embrace is this. Where is a fish made to live and thrive? In the water. If the fish says, no, I want to jump out on dry land, that's where I'll be happiest. And it successfully launches itself out and lands on the shore. How long till the fish is dead and miserable? Or miserable than dead? Because it's dying. Because it's left the one place it can be free and happy for, it, for, right, for as long as its life expectancy. What if you and I are like the fish, but the place we're made to be free and happy is inside the will of God? is in a relationship with God as citizens of the kingdom of God. But we fail to see that. We fail to embrace that. And so we flop out of where God has designed for us to thrive, and then we flop to death on the shores of sinfulness and unholiness. And God so loved the world, though, that he sent his one and only son to show us his beauty, his worth, and his love. And if you would know him as truth, then he will set you back free. Isn't that the story? It's going on in 1 Samuel 8. So Samuel told the Lord's words to the people who were asking for a king, and he says, listen, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. And he's going to use the word take about four, five, six times. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. He will be able to draft your sons 
at any moment in time to fight any battle that he thinks he needs to fight. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters, this king can, to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He can take your best fields. He can take your property, your vineyards, <coughs> excuse me, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best cattle, your donkeys, and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves can become his servants. So God gives his people a warning. He said, look, this king you want will not always be for you, but he will take from you. And I think some of us, we need to realize we can be asking God for things and seeking things. And God's like, yeah, if, if you get it, it may take from you because it's not for you. And, and then, so part of the warning includes a prophecy. He says, hey, you're going to cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourself and again here the tension that we're feeling right we're feeling it this weekend yeah but god why didn't you stop them you gotta feel it because he doesn't stop them he gives it to them he says look but the lord won't answer you on that day and if you ever wonder why there's problems in the human world in the world we have, you got to look inside the human heart. Because look, after warning them explicitly, they refused. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. We won't be holy, but we're pretty sure we'll be happy. No, 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 this king will take from you. No, we'll be like other, than na other nations. Our king will judge us. He will go out before us and fight our battles. Samuel listened to all the people's words and then repeated them to the Lord. And God says, listen to them. And the Lord told Samuel, appoint a king for them. Then Samuel told the men of Israel, each of you go back to your cities. And at the end, the chapter 8. <coughs> that chapter ends we'll get to the king's uh, uh, selection next week but this tension is god why did they why did you let them do it well a couple of things first everybody chooses a king everybody here has a king maybe kings some of you may prefer the word queen but everybody's got one right and everyone knows failure. And it's what we choose to lead us. What we choose that becomes a God substitute or a competitor or a rival with God. Like in that song, right? Beautiful name. You have no rival. 
but we're pretty good about creating rivals to God. But what we see is God is doing something. God is doing something. It's vague in eight, but he's doing something because he's still sovereign, even over sin, even over failures, even over bad kings, so that he might have the supremacy. So that we might be able to say, God, you're the king I need. I didn't realize it when I was 15. I didn't realize it when I was 18. In my first marriage, you were not king. In my first job, my first paycheck, you were not king. God, in my sexuality, you have not been king. God, in my identity quest to define who I am, you have not been king. And consequently, you have permitted me to fail. But what your permissions have done, Lord God, is this. You have shown me the king I need is the king you give or the king you are. And that's power. That the whole design of, God's, of God writing failure or allowing failure into your story and to my story is so we could say, okay, God, you are the king, the only one we need. Now, now, now let's, let's even, let, let, I, I, when I'm preaching, sometimes I can worship God. I hope you can too, right? Let's worship God even more. Look, look at how profound this is. For God, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So God knew all about you and knew all about me and knew all about your failures, knew all about my failures. He knew all about that Israel would ask for a king around 1000 B.C. He knew all about all of that. He, he knew Lucifer would you know, be one of the lead angels and then eventually his pride would overtake him and he would rebel against God along with a third of the angels and be cast out. And he would tempt Adam and Eve and they would fail and that Cain would kill Abel, and there would be failure, and Noah would, you know, have some, uh, some weird sexual escapade. He knew all about that. He knew all about what you did on spring break. He knew all about that, but he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be what? Holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one, which is Jesus. So the, li listen, listen, so the apex, listen, the apex, that's highest point, right? The apex of God's glory is his grace to sinners. Grace is what you don't deserve, that you get because God's good and God's amazing. So let me say it this way. The highest point of God's glory, and God's glory is the point of everything. How do I get that? For himself. For himself. So God said, let there be light for himself. God permitted failure for himself. 
The apex of God's glory is glorious grace. Who gets grace? Failure. That's why we worship him. That's why when that epiphany of his supremacy happens, listen, that's when we can bow down and take a knee and gladly submit and give Jesus the steering wheel of our lives and the sins of our souls because we are experiencing the praise of his glorious grace. So, what do we do with 1 Samuel 8? Okay? We'll give you some options and we'll take the Lord's Supper. First, we need to understand the explanation that awakens us. See, I, I want you to, because I, I, I believe there's people here. Everybody's got failure in their story. I think there's people here. And you don't know why that's happened in your life. You don't, maybe you're like, I don't know why I did what I did. Or I don't, I don't understand why that was allowed to happen to me, which resulted in, in some failures, maybe psychologically, failures emotionally, failures relationally. And, and you're like, God, I don't know why. There's an explanation. To awaken you to the glory of his grace that heals, that restores, that adopts, that saves. Receive that explanation in faith right now, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. Some of us, we need to hear the warning that protects us. There are some of you who are pursuing or following or being led by a bad king. Or you're tempted to follow a bad king. Hear me. God's not into coercion. So he will permit you to go down that path. But what if this weekend he's saying, but you don't have to. Or before you get too far, come back. Repent. Come back. That's grace too. Right? Number three, <coughs> we need to have ballast. That's a Navy word. It's a ship word. Ballast, what keeps a ship, right, steady at sea from tipping it's to survive a storm. So I think the American Christian has been coddled by the American dream and prosperity. In fact, some of our theology is that bad things should never happen and suffering, God should keep us from that. But we need to understand something. God has promised there will be suffering, there will be adversity, there will be tragedy. Failure is written into the story. So when failure occurs to you, you don't have to be undone. Failure does not have to cause a faith crisis. Failure can actually be a faith awakening where we can say, I praise you, God, for your glorious grace. So listen, some of you are like, listen, have I sinned my best life away? No, because of his glorious grace. The fourth invitation is this. We need to receive the grace that invites us. Come to God, failures and all. Trust God, 
failures and all. Pursue God. Failures and all. You know, the amazing thing is the Bible. You know, it's my favorite book. I love it. I'm more in love with it at age 48 than I was at 8 when I became a Christian or 27 when we started this church. The Bible was written by failures. <laughs> Not written by perfect people, but by failures. Perhaps none greater than Paul, who was a murderer. Who was a murderer. And then he writes something in Philippians 3. I just want to share with you, okay? Here's what he wrote. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to take and hold of it. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I still fall short and fail. We could, we could imply correctly. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind. Some of you need that. I need that. Paul would be uh, forgetting, yeah, I got it wrong. I killed Christians. I put innocent people in prison without a bill of rights for constitutional protection. So forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Is the best ahead of us? Failures and all? I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Amen. Failing forward. Moving forward by faith in Jesus Christ. When you came in at your campus, and if you didn't receive one, ushers will help you. You got something with the Lord's Supper. I want to ask you not to take it until I finish the instructions, and we take it somewhat together as a unified body of Christ. So let me say at the outset, if you're not yet a Christ follower, and you've not yet made Jesus your King and Savior, then this is not for you. But that's okay, because you may be hearing an invitation from the Holy Spirit, and you're ready to... Give Jesus your steering wheel, bow the knee, submit to him as king, and this can be your first communion. But, he, but here's how I want us to worship God through communion, okay? Let's use this notion of a king. We read in 1 Samuel that the king they ask for is a taker. Bad kings, bad leaders are takers. The king Jesus is, he's a giver. He gave his body, he gave his blood for our failure. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, listen, which is broken for you. Failures.
In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Failures. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When he comes, there's a prize for failures who have received the glorious grace of the death and life of the glorious King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Together, let us partake of the body and blood of Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray? When I say amen, you feel free to take the Lord's Supper. Lord God, thank you for every failure in the room. Thank you, God, that in your sovereignty and wisdom, you have permitted failure to awaken faith in you and your supremacy. God, I know there's some people here, they need to forget what's behind and pursue you. I know there's people here that are uh, being warned. But God, there's people here and we just want to receive. Because you, God, are not a taking king, you're a giving king. And what we're about to physically take symbolizes, reminds, and refreshes us of what you have given us. Your very life, your very blood. So we could be adopted sons and daughters, recipients of the apex of your glory, which is your grace to failures. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Let us partake of the body and blood of Jesus.